0: This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now, during our daily lives, we deal with a lot of uh, mundane matters. These mundane matters grow in importance and consume more time as we get older such things as earning a living putting food on the table raising children developing a career at some point a few of us we get to face the big questions and unfortunately some some of us never get to that point these questions are ignored but we know that they're out there but if as long as nobody talks about them then we pretend they don't exist, but the big questions tend always to haunt us, and at some point, it helps to face them, and I go back always to one of my favorite um, lines on this topic, which is Socrates, who said, the unexamined life is not worth living, which I think um, is one of those um, truths that remain in place throughout time. Now, one of these questions that we tend to avoid, which leads to all sorts of other issues, is what is the world made of? And most of us would probably say, well, the world's made of particles. It's made of stuff. But then you have something called quantum theory, which, in fact, shows that the world is not made out of stuff. And on that point, one of my favorite references is by Robert Laughlin, he won a Nobel Prize in Physics. He wrote a book called A Different Universe. He basically says, Quantum mechanical matter consists of waves of nothing. In fact, what is waving is really an idea. There is really nothing out there. Then there is another line of thinking that says, The world is made of information. And I've always liked this one because it sounds so cool. And it really it really comes from, I think... Uh, the DNA molecule, where we know that the DNA molecule is a code for life. It tells um, protein molecules how to form living organisms in a simplistic way. But then that's, that sounds very good, except when you ask the question, well, where did the code come from? And that's the kind of question that I think most modern scientists ignored. There's another way to look at this, which is that uh, we're looking at the world in the wrong way, that really what we're looking at is a reflection of ourselves. And this is where today's guest, um, Kate Jagetti, comes in. She has written a fascinating new book called Infinite Possibility. Now, it's based upon the ideas of Neville Goddard, but I will tell you that even if you know nothing about Neville Goddard, this short book contains probably more wisdom than any 100-page book out there and i highly recommend it. Uh Kate is a British television presenter and author. She has worked with BBC Science Unit, BBC Radio Oxford, served as news editor of the International Journal Africa Health. She has uh been um helpful in setting up learning resources and study center at uh, one of Nigeria's forefront teaching hospitals and interestingly she's also published in the science journal nature Uh, she lives in london and i'm happy to have her on the show kate welcome
1: thank you so much for having me philip a real pleasure
0: well it's uh it's always nice bringing you folks in from london because you're six hours ahead and uh (laughs) we we've managed to do the the time zones right and uh here we are (laughs) Now, one of the one of the amazing things, leaving aside the fact that we're talking on Skype uh, across six different time zones, uh, is let's start off a little bit about how you came to write this book, uh, because it really is something that is uh, far-reaching, and it seems as if this is your first book, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. Okay.
0: So why why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, in summary fashion, how how your upbringing led you to write this book?
1: Okay. Sure. So when I was a young child, my mother, who was, um, I suppose we'd call her a truth seeker, was someone who had a very Uh, large appetite for new thought philosophy and even as young children she would always share with us whatever ideas she had come across or read to us from books that she was reading and it didn't really matter that we didn't understand it fully we loved listening to these stories I was a child who loved to sort of play in my imagination in fact my father said to me not too long ago that of all his children, he remembered me being alone, um, whether my nose was stuck in a book or I was just fantasizing about something, I was a child that really loved to be in my imagination. So these ideas that my mother introduced us to, ideas that there there was a world that wasn't known to us or, or seen by us, but one that could be experienced by us in some way, appealed to me even as a young child. And so growing up um, with these ideas, I was very comfortable with um, the sorts of ideas associated with new new thought philosophy. So when I was a teenager, my mother gave me A book called Five Lessons by Neville Goddard, who is the person I went on to study. Um, I think his work had an instantaneous impact on me and I loved it. I didn't understand all of it and I found some of it quite challenging. But I found myself reading everything that I could get my hands on that he had written. And then so as I began to play with his philosophy, which is very practical in nature, I would keep journals and diaries because what I wanted to do was always have at hand some sort of reference to the bits I loved the most about what he said what he was teaching and so this book was a sort of a natural evolution of that I didn't actually plan to write a book because I'd been told that I couldn't get a book like this published not that I was sort of trying to get it published but it was just something that was for me originally and so I was absolutely astounded when um, I got feedback that this book was something that um, a publisher wanted to take on
0: yeah th- th- it is uh how can I put this in the new thought realm? It is on the radical side. It is on the, uh, and I could say that because my my own book, The Collapse of Materialism, is right right over there. Uh, it, they're very very uh, close. And my feeling is, if you're, if you're going to um, get out in the literary world, you might as well make a name for yourself. You might as well push the push the envelope. And we're going to yeah. get into this because there's a lot of really cool stuff. Um for those who don't know a lot about Neville Goddard, and frankly, when I read your book i didn't know about him and i have I have read up a little bit, but for those who don't know who Neville Goddard is or his ideas can I challenge you by trying to summarize <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, briefly I mean I could do it myself but I have a funny feeling I mean I've only read a little bit but I, I I get where he's going by the way but can you try to summarize what his themes are or what his underlying premises are
1: okay so I will do my best I know it's I very difficult know, it's I mean I,
0: I I felt like you know I feel like I could be worse I could say put it in one sentence okay you know or, <laughs> no, <don't>. you know <laughs>
1: okay, so, so so I'm going to oh, give God. I'm going to give
0: you two or three sentences go ahead <laughs>
1: So very quickly, Neville was an Englishman born into um, an English family on the island of Barbados in 1905, and he traveled over to New York as a teenager to pursue a career in uh, performing arts. He later on met, he was still a young man, but he met a rabbi called Abdullah who taught him about esoteric occultism and mysticism and this new thought philosophy. Although Neville himself didn't really consider himself part of the new thought world, what he his ministry was all about was helping people to understand that the god biblical fame was in fact the human imagination and that the human imagination was not a function of the mind as we've been taught it was but it was our substantive nature or the the nature of consciousness as it were and he also taught that you were we could be trained or we could train ourselves to communicate with our consciousness in a way that enabled us to control the circumstances and the conditions of our lives. Now, for some people, these ideas were radical. In fact, Neville was referred to as the mad mystic, but he was saying that his teaching was based purely on experience and that this ability to use our imagination uh, in this way was innate in every human being. So his job was just to help us to understand that and to teach us how to make the most of it.
0: That was that was really that was really well done. I want to make a couple observations here, that some of which are, are, are ironic, and almost humorous. But one of them is this whole thing about new thought. Every time someone says new thought, I'm thinking it's really old thought recast in modern language. And the, those who have read the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita uh, know that what today we call a new thought is really Updated old thought, but that's just my own. That's and I think we'll get to that a little bit. The other thing is what I try to do on this show and in my own work, and I try to do it on the opening of this show, is to tie in the new thought material, which is this. For example, the notion that we create our own world, that that uh, euphemism or that that uh, saying. With the fact that under quantum theory we don't know if anything other than consciousness really exists so it's not as if these are radical thoughts i think that they are common sense uh, extrapolations from what we know and so i think what we see out in our um, culture although it's getting better is that there is a disconnect between the orthodox way of looking at things. For example, the orthodox literal interpretation of the Bible or the literal um, materialistic worldview of modern science. Those are put in two categories and then you have something called new thought. I happen to think they're all sort of the same and we just haven't broken down the barriers but before we get to the to some of the points in your book do have you thought through this i mean it, what is your thinking on this whole topic uh, I, I mean you consider yourself an outlier or you consider yourself a visionary <laughs>
1: because it's really a really good uh, question um i hadn't really considered myself as anything other than a living ministry of this work and i say that because i had no plan as it were i wasn't sort of aware that i had a message to share with people i was just doing this work i fell in love with this philosophy and i was doing my best to apply it in my own life and then through writing which i love to do i mean i didn't do very well in college and all of that kind of thing but that never stopped me i was living a very particular uh, type of life because of this philosophy I got the opportunity to share it and as a result of that being able to prove it for myself I feel very strongly or I would say in some ways I feel compelled to steward others through this process that I, I agree with Neville that this ability is innate in everybody and it's just a question of finding someone to give you a bit of guidance, so I'm not sort of setting myself up as any kind of teacher. I don't know if I am a visionary. It was very interesting to be described that way. Somebody also said that I was the greatest person in the world doing this, so oh. <laughs> I take all of the, all of those accolades
0: yeah, yeah well yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't recognize any of that in myself. I just see myself as living and I live by my t- intuition and I live by feeling and I have complete confidence because I've learned to understand the language of intuition and to trust my feeling.
0: Yeah, and that's another way of saying you're, that you're authentic, right? I mean, because if if these are, it's not as if you these ideas have been drilled into your brain and you've memorized them and you go and you chant them. Right. These are these are ingrained uh, truisms that you have experienced to be real. Is that is that right? Absolutely. I'm, right. And so yes. it's not Thank as you. if I mean you know we all compare this kind of thinking to orthodox religion, where we all, at least I was, most of us have been through some kind of orthodox um, religion, where you're taught to memorize. Um, know whether it's the ten commandments or or portions of the bible or prayers and you recite them and you may never know really what the words mean or how it connects to the real world or even how it connects to the bible and you and it's not ingrained in your quote-unquote inner being or soul uh as opposed to uh living living a belief system or a um or philosophy okay so let's let's move let's get going here and one of the things that um you you know you start off with metaphysics and you put the word metaphysics in a capital m and you know the word metaphysics is really a rich loaded term and i can go on and on about um you know what it means and for those who are wondering it it was uh, the, the metaphysics was the book that aristotle wrote after physics and so the meta meant after physics it didn't have a very profound meaning back in the day but anyways what what do you mean by metaphysics
1: so what i wanted to do in the book I and mean, throughout the book is to bring together all of the ideas, because I think people can be can get tied up in the terminology and sort of the intellectual side of this, and I wanted it to be very very practical. So when I said that metaphysics is all of the underlying principles of creation, the things that are known to us and the things that are not, are not known, I don't, th- um, I wasn't trying to provide a definitive answer that satisfied everybody. I know there are people who know about quantum physics and metaphysics and could sort of be more articulate on this point than I am. What I wanted to do was to give the reader Um, an idea of what it meant to me and what it meant to Neville so that they were clear about that and for me it was an answer that satisfies um, for the purpose of the book Um, so for me that's what it is it's absolute causation so um, not being a physicist I don't speak on the subject of quantum physics but if I what I would say to someone if you think about subatomic particles and even the components of subatomic atomic particles I say that those things come from a source, and that source is what I call God. People call it different things, but I say God because it has a very personal meaning to me, and that is metaphysics, so the living embodiment, if you like, of the laws that govern everything that ex- that exists.
0: Yeah, okay, so, that's, so in summary, it seems as if when you use metaphysics, you really mean Neville Goddard's metaphysics. I think yes. and and that would be the profi- the seemingly profound statement that god is the human imagination yes right okay and so and so just so in case folks were wondering wow is that some kind of bizarre idea i just want to make sure that we understand that that's exactly what the upanishad says that brahman is the is the, is the mind of man? That's essentially what the Upanishads say. I updated it. I will also say, for those um, who want to get into Western philosophy, that Berkeley, George Berkeley, said the same thing, that the world is a dream in the mind of God. And so, to say that the God is the human imagination is is a little different twist because it it adds some active role, which I think is good. It adds some active role to the mind. It's it show it it really to me gives a flow to the um description by saying that we are imagining being physical beings. And um I hate to say this but it brings up another line by um Pierre Del Jardine who said something like, uh, we are spiritual creatures having a physical experience or something like that. So so there is a long history in this. And that's that's where uh, Kate, I think you're in good company is where I'm going. <laughs> I think you're in good company, and I think what is so cool about this, and I think where you – and I, I'm going to give you credit because I haven't read enough novels, Goddard, to, to really attribute issues here or or uh, credit. But you, you, you make this more practical. And one last thing I'm going to add bef- uh, is that the book The Secret – was such a overwhelming success and there's so many books like that based upon intentionality. Uh you know, intend your result and focus and it'll happen. And this is just to me a little deeper spin on that. So let me let me go in that direction right now. I take it you're familiar with the secret to the book and that whole area.
1: Absolutely. Oh, okay,
0: okay, so what is different between what you're saying and what the secret says
1: so I love that word intentionality I think a lot of the times when people come to this philosophy they think it's about wishing hard enough I'm not speaking for everyone I, there are different levels of understanding and different takes on this work but for me where those uh, other products stopped is that they didn't help people understand why this uh, system didn't work for them it was telling them that all you need to do is feel something but there are specific requirements that need to be met and what I've done throughout the book is provide exercises that guide people right from where they are into meeting all of those requirements so for example in according to Neville Goddard's met, metaphysics if you um, are unable to contact the feeling of possession, already possessing. I'll explain what what I mean in just a moment. You're not going to see the things show up in your world and you're never going to be able to wish hard enough or desire hard enough to make that happen for you. And this is something that I have been able to verify for myself through experimentation. What I mean, I'll give an example, I've used this example before, is if I were to say to someone, what do you do for a living, and they gave me an answer such as, oh, I'm a police officer or a school teacher, there will be a feeling in associated with that response. If I asked that same person what they wanted to be, they would feel slightly differently. And it's that difference, it's being able to feel about what you want as you do about what you presently are, that is all the difference between achieving a manifestation, as it's uh, generally called, and not achieving one. And there are different sort of uh, requirements like that to to be met. So I, I really go out of my way to safeguard people from failure so that they don't become disillusioned. And also, I really want to lay heavy emphasis on the fact that This is not about um, wishful thinking or what Neville says is getting into a state of compressed anxiety because people do get anxious about the things they're invested in, especially when it's something they believe themselves to want. But it's helping to train your mind to understand the language of desire. That's the language by which God communicates to us as human beings and to communicate back to consciousness or God through the language of feeling so it's giving people a real grounding and a foundation that is effective
0: okay so that is uh very well put and because it seems to me that what what you're doing that is more powerful than the secret is you are focusing on the source of physical reality which is you're you're looking inward and you're saying, we got to clean up our vision, we, you, you can't just uh, project a want, like looking at a new car, I want that car, and just project yourself as if you're going to change the exter- the external world. You have to, as you put it, to change the world, you need to change the relationship to the things in the world that's the the quote out of your book uh and so the way i see it is you're saying assuming that the world is imagination and that's god's imagination then we have to do a better job of mastering the source of the imagining power is that yeah, you... I
1: think that's a really good way of putting it. It's just helping people to understand that you can be trained to do this. So we're not just giving you some ideas and sending you off to try and work it out for yourself, but actually helping them to reach that level of, or attain that mastery that's so crucial.
0: Yeah, and, so, and I think that's what sets people off sometimes um, from books like The Secret. And I think that's one reason why they are not credible in the scientific world because there is no metaphysics underlying them it in many ways it Mm -hmm. could be wish it could be claimed to be wishful thinking what you're saying and i'm and and the reason why this is sort of easy for me because i think i i think i'm exactly like you do like maybe i'm a little different but you'll see that i completely agree with this and that doesn't mean it's right it just means that uh, i 'm a good person to be asking you these questions uh, so, so but but again I, I have some things i disagree i i, I don 't necess- but we 'll get to those in a second here but mm-hmm. but the point is is that if you don 't have a metaphysics it 's just like in science, and this is exactly the same if you don 't have a theory to explain something if you don 't have an overarching theme then you 're ideas your hypotheses are going to, are going to be isolated disjointed and probably not credible and if you're you know in science we have something for example called the standard model of of particle physics and all these particles linked together and it's a grand theory and that's what science is working on putting their pieces together for their theory here you have a metaphysics you start with uh, God is the human imagination, and if that's true, then these things follow, and then you put those things into practice, and lo and behold, if it works, to me, that builds up your confidence. So, Absolutely. So why don't you give me an example of how it's worked for you?
1: Okay, so the most immediate example is this book itself, when um, I decided that, okay, I would write a book or organize my, my notes and everything that I'd done over the years into book form um, and the book went out, I was originally kind of excited about it, you know, I did the letter and all of that and I sent up the chapters and then you're waiting to hear back and then you get the no. And what I realized I was doing was, okay, I was relying on someone else to make that decision for me. But I remembered that I actually have a philosophy that I live by which enables me to make those sorts of decisions for myself. And so when I sent it off to the publisher that has actually published the book, my first response was no, but I wasn't dissuaded by that. I held on to the feeling that the answer was yes. So I was able to be completely dismissive of that no. And a short time later, the manuscript was requested again by the same publisher, and I got the yes. And I don't say to people, oh, I know the how, or I try to um, apply some uh, quantum physics uh, explanation. I don't know if I put that correctly for how that happened. I just know that... What Neville says is, if you can contact the feeling of already having, so if I think about the fact that I now hold this book in my hand, it's an absolute certainty, I feel something specific, I can, if I can contact that feeling even before I'm physically, physically holding this book, the book will show up at the right time and all of that. And that's what happened. I mean, I've used it in many, many different ways throughout my life, but I thought it would be nice to actually use this book as an example of what I'm saying. So when I decided, when I made the decision that this book would be published, I contacted the feeling that it was already done and I help people to understand how to do that for themselves and that is and the result is here is the book.
0: Okay that's a that's a that's a great example and this is where things I think get very interesting and and bordering on the profound and because what you've what you've said I think uh to me brings up the concept of determinism. And let me explain most of us believe that events happen beyond our control, that we can't change the future that if uh, that things happen uh it, it, and this is completely completely the case in the materialistic worldview where where uh there because there's no connection between mind and matter in the current scientific worldview our hopes dreams aspirations can have no effect upon physical reality the story of our lives etc etc if you change your mindset or your your uh, metaphysics to this human imagination um, outlook things are exactly reversed you can change the world now, but here I might as well bring up my major problem with this right now because it's related to what I just said, which is how can one person alter the dream of God, isn't it, or the imagination of God, isn't is there power in numbers, and, and so and so where does that fit in? You see what I'm saying here? I mean, I, this is yeah. not an individual pursuit because we don't imagine a world ourselves. We're just part of it. So So
1: there's a line... Okay, so there's a line in in one of Neville's lectures that said that God is never in competition with himself, that that there is only one mind, and that we are the Elohim, so God as many sons. So even though we are individualized, you are very separate from me with your own experiences, your own family, your own profession, and all of that. And here I am all the way in the UK with my own family, my own life and experiences. We are at source the same thing and although we may not consciously be aware of our union or our, and our sameness in that way we are aware of it at the subconscious level and because we are thinking in concert we are actually all working together or, although we may not know that that is the case and so it's not a question of one person changing the mind of god what happens is that what you are thinking is actually um, in harmony with what everyone else is thinking, that we are all operating as part of a unified drama, if you like. Now, the esoteric stuff, um, I am still studying. I mean, I've been studying this for a long time. I lay heavy emphasis on the practical side. So I don't want to sort of get tongue-tied or give an answer that's unclear to the audience. But just to say that we are one. We are individualized as in human form, but substantively consciousness unifies us and because of that we never we're not it's not sorry the case of one person changing the dream of god but that we are all on some level in agreement to the changes that take place in the world
0: okay yeah that—that that is i think the most difficult question which is why i asked it i asked you it. i think, I think it is the most i mean i could come up with i could come up with a, a hypothetical which would be suppose there's two people both wanting to publish a book similar to yours you know, maybe they're different, but they're both uh, very deserving to be published. And the publisher could only publish one of them. And both both prospective authors are using the same Neville Goddard methods, uh, but only one could be published. And so, at some point, there's a conflict. See, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is where, uh, and I don't have an answer to that myself. I mean, I sort of do, but, but, I. Where I go with this, and just to cut to the chase, see I think that the goal here is to adopt uh neville goddard's metaphysics as the scientific metaphysics as the as the as the governing world view this is where i this is where I'm at, so just to show you that i'm I might be one one step more radical than you um it's hard it's hard i know but but uh i'm i'm, I'm at least in competition on radicalness but in any event the you see right this is where i'm going with it. i think we need to change the metaphysics of, of science's metaphysics and and uh i have a lot of discussions with people like this but but anyways um now just to get radical even more uh just this is i thought this is very very interesting because i've never heard this put this way here's a quote um i think this is um i don't know if this is you or neville but it says the bible is a psychological document having no basis in religious dogma and is one of the greatest phenomena known to mankind understanding it will transform your life so so this is this is a, I guess this is out of Neville Goddard, but this is an amazing, amazing position. It's a psychological document having no basis in religious dogma. Can you expand upon that?
1: Yeah, I mean that is my language. This is so the book is. I want them to be recognisable as Neville's ideas, but it, it's my language, and um, that's what I got from what Neville was saying about the Bible. He talks about that in five lessons that it's not a. Um, an historical document, it's not a religious record, it is the story or the blueprint of the psychological evolution of man and that as we go through all of the different um, experiences that we go through, um, there's There's an explanation for all of it and and, um, revelation behind all of that, all contained in the Bible. So for me, um, I view the Bible that way. When I was growing up in the Christian religion and going to church, obviously I got my understanding of the Bible from the leaders at the front of the room, speaking from the pulpit and telling you this is what the Bible means. But... What happens is that as you begin to study the Bible not as a religious document, but embrace it or be open to the idea that it has another message about your human experience, and that the the events in the Bible are allegorical rather than historical fact, what you begin to uh, find happens. Well, I hope. Find, people will find this is that you begin to interpret the events of the Bible in a different way, and there's a lot of symbolism. The Bible is very, very hev- heavy on symbolism. Please, I don't want to have to give any examples.
0: No, right no, that's fine. Oh, no, that's fine. Okay, so <laughs> but okay, that,
1: but that's the bit. It's it's life changing when you actually understand what this document is is talking to. It's talking to us about the human experience.
0: Yeah. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Kate Jagetti about her new book, Infinite Possibility, and we're talking right now about whether the Bible is, in fact, a psychological document having no basis in religious dogma. Now, I happen to think that that's true uh, for the most part. Uh, What I I don't see why it couldn't be both, though. I don't see why it couldn't be historical and psychological at the same time, because if we're living, if we're living, go ahead.
1: So, I mean, Neville does say it's wrapped in the garb of history, and so it was written in the style of the era, um, giving examples of the kind of um, pageantry and ritual that used to take place in the time that it was written. I mean, there are people who are scholars on the Bible who can speak for hours on this kind of thing, but yes, it has historical significance, but it's not just that. So yeah. you're right, it is both.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that that is a better way... Well, to be consistent, I think, I think you have to say that, because, and that's my feeling about it, is that if the, the, if the world is the imagination of God, which I think it is, then we are seeing history uh, filtered through the imagination... And you have a another great line here, which um, is very sim- simply put. It says, "God is not man. God became man, so that man can awaken as God." Which is sort of exactly, the, to me, the theme of the story. Uh, the you you project God as being outside of yourself, and gradually. Uh, humankind realizes that it itself is god which is basically what the underlying theme of enlightenment is as far as i know the whole issue about um in 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 brahma where you realize that yourself is part of the self of Bra- of, of of uh god is exactly the same it's exactly the same thing but what is what is good here? Is that you're putting it into very practical language with that I'd like to move to a couple of your lessons which i i was really i think they're really cool there's some there and what's what's good about this um, for those listening in is that they're very short and it's it's such a well done um book in the sense that you don't go on and on like I would i mean I go on and on and on with the logic and the the citations and you know i think that's that's what i'm about i'm a practicing lawyer so i believe in supporting what i say but you have very simple practical um points to make and then you come up with these exercises and i i'd like to just um maybe you could pick one that you think is particularly helpful whether it's the prayer self-observation i'm sorry the uh, the mirror but but why don't you tell the listener about you know one of your exercises and how how it how it could help them
1: okay great so i'd, I'd like to offer a little context as well sure. because i i'm it's so i i made the book deliberately uh short in this way so that it wasn't exhaustive and that anybody from anywhere could pick it up and sort of understand what was being said to them and be inspired or at least curious enough to want to try it out try them out because I'm a firm believer in once you get the ball rolling then what you can do is then expand on these exercises to suit your own temperament but one of the exercises that I think is really wonderful particularly for people who are unfamiliar with new thought is to do the one it's in the chapter believing the unbelievable and what it is is inviting you to adopt a specific mood before you Sleep. So for me, in my work, I'm not, um, I haven't laid uh, much emphasis or much importance on trying to persuade people or support by argument what I'm saying. What I have done is instead said, look, just try this, see how you feel about it. And then as you begin to see results, because I'm very confident that people will see results, they explore further for themselves. So in believing the unbelievable, what you need to do is as you're going to sleep, when we're in between the states of wakefulness and sleep, psychologists call that state, state the hypnagogic state, and it's an optimum time for really working with your imagination in the way that I describe. So if you're going to go to sleep any and think about something anyway, instead of just thinking about what went wrong for the, throughout the day or what you're worried about, why don't you think about something pleasant or something that you could see yourself doing, being or having? And then really try to and become very aware of that mood so that it intensifies and as you focus on it it will get stronger and you will be able to notice it better and better and as you sleep in that mood what I am suggesting is that when you wake up the next day you will see reflected back to you something that confirms the mood now when you're first starting this type of work you are not going to be able necessarily to identify uh, the correlation between this activity that you've done and the events that are happening in in your day but just notice if you're someone given to negativity or anxiety how things maybe go a bit better or smoother or a relationship with someone feels a bit better or a bit freer if that's an issue for you so that's one of my favorite exercises
0: yeah that's that's a really that's a really good one it's also easy to um to perform and again it's it's as if this is an experiment and it sounds a little bit like lucid dreaming. Uh, or deep intentionality but it it my feeling about let me just be very clear i don't see what you have to lose by doing these experiments because it's it's like um we really don't know what the world is i mean i i think i think we know what the world is made out of i think the world is the imagination but for those who are still on the fence on this one uh if it's a lot better Assuming that you have some control over your life, than assuming that all is hopeless. That's that's a very and then, Kate, something that you you do a very clean job of, isn't it? Well, where does doubt and fear fit into this?
1: Okay, so doubt uh, is a very destabilizing emotion, and we all we're all familiar with what doubt is. But what it does is, it has the job of unearthing or upsetting what it is you're trying to achieve. So what I encourage uh, people to do is to keep what they're doing private and keep it I prefer the word private to secret, but let it be a very personal and intimate thing so you don't need to tell anyone what you're doing, what you're going through. And the reason for that is as you start to discuss it, if you kind of uh, misconstrue a response from someone who doesn't know what you're talking about or or has no interest or disbelieves what you're saying, you will begin to feel... um, uncertain and will not be able to maintain the intensity of the feeling that is necessary to bring about what you're trying to achieve. So Neville speaks very clearly about feeling being the secret. That is the language by which we communicate with consciousness to give us what what it is we look for. And you're trying to achieve a feeling of already being in possession of something or already doing something or already being something. And what doubt will do is destabilize that feeling or weaken it. It so that what you are looking for doesn't show up ultimately
0: yeah that's that's good and just from my own personal um writing i when i did the first drafts of my book the collapse of materialism which used to be called the heaven at the end of science i i set up doubt as being the devil and i felt that my my goal my task was to destabilize doubt and that's why when i when I did my book, there's hundreds of footnotes. I already said I'm a lawyer, and I footnote things because my my feeling was that if I dissemble doubt logically, then it will then it couldn't could not appear. It worked for me it worked and that approach probably works for some people who are who are logical the well not that most people aren't but but some people need that kind of proof and i felt that the world needed that kind of argument that we didn't really have an argument that put the whole picture together so if you take a look at at the collapse of materialism it really is a wide-ranging argument on why we should not doubt that we are in control of our lives and and you you do the similar thing uh through i I guess i would call intuition but i I want to say that for those who think this is some kind of weird um quackery or some kind of you know, off the charts uh perspective just just look at any athlete and uh, what what comes to mind is Jack Nicholas, the golfer, who uh when you ask him what he does before a shot, he visualizes the ball landing softly on the green. And if you look at Jason Day, one of the top golfers now, he closes his eyes and does exactly the same thing when he before he hits a shot, he closes his eyes and envisions the ball landing. Exactly, it's sort of the same thing you're saying, but but you're doing it a little deeper. Right? You're you're sort of putting yourself into that already happened mindset. And and that to me, you are increasing the chances that the reality is going to conform to your vision. So
1: I really like yeah I really like that you said that and if I could just add yeah, um, there there is a wealth of information that like that and and all of this is evidence as you were saying at the top of the show that this is new thought is really old thought you know we see this sort of thing time and time again but as you're saying, I go a little deeper and what I do is help people to actually meet all of the requirements or sort of teaching them how to get to the, requ- the requisite level of intensity. I want to mention that when we talk about in, Net, in Neville's teaching, when he talks about visualization, he says it's not looking at yourself as you're looking at an actor on stage or in a movie, but you're entering the picture. And one of the things I, I describe is when you have entered into the picture, what you will find is that you are unable to see your own face. So if you are still seeing your own face while you are performing um, a meditation in the way that i describe then you're only observing yourself doing something and you're not going to reach that desired or requisite level of intensity so these are the kind of extras that i i would say are included in the book
0: have you ever uh experienced a a reality and by that i mean occurring in the public world that conforms to an inner vision that you've had
1: um could you uh, give me a little bit of point Well, more well, well for about.
0: example, I mean, we're talking about like sleeping, going to going to night and, and um having a positive vision for the next day or a positive outcome, mm-hmm. success. Have has have you had an experience where that's worked? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. Um I did a show for Channel 4 television. It was an internet series for them, and it was a sort of science show for kids. And um, when I wanted the to get the job, before I got to the process of even being invited in for an audition, what I would do was, as I was going to sleep, was actually see myself walking over London Bridge to where the studios were from a particular train station across London Bridge to where the studios were and I played that over and over again until I felt that I was actually really performing that act I remember what I was wearing I could smell the smell of the Thames and hear the noises of the traffic and all the rest of it and actually on the day that I was told that I had been selected to be the presenter for the show that event happened I walked across the bridge sorry, it's Westminster Bridge, not London Bridge, I walked across the bridge, I saw many of the things that were in my mental vision, smelt, heard, and all the rest of it, and I was wearing the same outfit. So it does happen for me, um, I mean, the outfit bit is not sort of sup- supposed to be evidence, but I'm saying that the event took place as I had imagined it being, because in my vision... When I got there, I imagined the producers congratulating me and so on. And it was very interesting that a producer I had not met before looked very much—I I don't want to say with a yeah. hundred percent certainty—that he looked exactly like the person I saw, but he looked very much like the person I saw in vision.
0: Yeah, something like that's happened to me as well, and and I, I have to I have to say. That if it happens, all it takes is once to realize there's some truth to this. This is where I'm going with this, which is mm-hmm. it because it and it's very very similar to precognitive dreams for those who study the, the uh, parapsychology and uh, you know in the phantasms of the living. I talk about that book a lot uh, and the whole s- subject of mind mind over matter, clairvoyance, and all these other principles. It's it's exactly it's very similar. The difference I think that you're doing Kate is that you are putting the self in control. You're saying if 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 indeed Neville's metaphysics is correct, then we are part of the imagination and we could improve improve our lives, our attitudes, our happiness by by being pot by being more positive. By not letting fear control what we dream and think about, and that that I think is a powerful uh message and something that I think um everybody could benefit from okay so now we're gonna get uh very radical um before <laughs> because I can't help but um talk about this this is this is really cool, and this is the pruning shears of revision that's I guess the lecture by Neville Goddard. And you call it something else in your book, similar to that. But it's this whole thing about rewriting history, which I which I thought was great. Uh, and it's this concept of sort of reimagining the past. Yeah, changing the past. Yeah, changing the you, past. Yeah, yeah, changing the past. Can you talk about that a little bit? What What is changing the past?
1: Okay. So, what? we're saying in with Neville's philosophy is that all of our experiences are imagined and if that is the case, if that's true, then you can reimagine something. So what he's saying is you revisit an event that didn't go in the way that you want it for whatever reason and you Uh, relive that experience as you wished it were as you wished it had gone instead and what that does is that it shifts your experience to one that is an alignment that had the one you imagine taking place instead of what had actually taken place you now find yourself living um, in alignment with that now I know it's a very difficult idea for people but if you think about the fact that our experience is imagined then it's not that difficult to comprehend now somebody said to me recently um and I have absolute respect for for her difficulty with this that she lost a child how does she undo losing a child well i'm not saying you undo losing a child but if you can undo the trauma of the event you will find that you are able to recover or to move forward in a way that would previously have been shut off to you so it is a very difficult and challenging concept but the idea is that all of the things we go through in life are ultimately educative and they are imagined and we can control our experiences as a result of manipulating events imagined in the present and in the past
0: yeah i think I think that I think this is a great uh, perspective, and I also think I agree with you that it is an extrapolation off of the uh, Neville Goddard's metaphysics of the uh, the of the world being the product of God's imagination. And again, a couple things to sh- to try to um, show that this is not as wild as it sounds. Number one, I point to the movie Doctor Strange those who have seen it. Uh, And I think that there's, what, uh, Arrived um, is another one dealing with time, but Doctor Strange, the movie, and even in the Infinity Wars, uh, the uh, Avengers movie that just came out, there's a lot of time manipulation going on in science fiction right now, where Events are changed, and you could probably talk about back to the future. You know, times are, mm. things are changed, and, you know, it's all, it's, it's cast in terms of science and fiction and magic and, and wizards, and, but it's not, it's sort of, uh, in the same area to me that it, you know, the mind wants to have the ability to go back and change. And then I will connect this to, believe it or not, quantum physics. And, and, and by the way, I'm not a, um, Orthodox interpreter of quantum physics, and we don't have time for me to get into it. It's detailed in my book. Um, On what my views are, I think, parenthetically, quantum physics supports exactly everything we're saying here. But there, there are these (laughs) past choice experiments done in quantum physics. If you put into Google, you put in um, past choice experience uh, experiments or or changing history there is a way to do these quantum physics tests that change the results in the past so this is not that unusual i also think it's very um how can i put this it is very therapeutic because we all have experiences every day where we wish we would have acted differently you know, I tend to be impatient with computer technicians just because I want things done quickly. And and sometimes that's not possible. And you think, well, maybe I should have been more patient. And there's all sorts of – and and I go the same direction, which is why not give it a try? So I really think the prunes and, – and I'm using the pruning shears of revision because that's just an amazing title, which I guess was a lecture – by neville goddard and uh, folks if you want to go on the internet i pulled up myself this morning the pruning shears of revision so that is uh an amazing feature of what we're talking about here Uh, there's another chapter in your book that's similar it's called success and there's a quote that maybe you could elaborate on when you believe that what you are imagining is true you are guaranteeing your success in bringing what you imagine into physical view sort of the same thing but it's a beautiful mm-hmm. concise way to put it so is that so what what's the lesson on that one what what can you what can a person do to implement that one
1: okay so what i'm saying by that is um, when you believe you will feel uh, something that corroborates that belief. Your feeling will corroborate your belief, in other words. And by holding on to that feeling, you are meeting the requirement for it to become a physical fact in your world. Our experiences follow. The, and Neville says signs follow, they don't proceed. All of the things that we go through are the product of what we have felt prior to it showing up. And so when you believe what that what you're doing is true you lock into yourself or lock into place or you've made contact with the feeling that this thing is a reality. And in a way that we don't know, it will become a reality.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. And again, it's it's sort of the same, it's sort of the same thing. I I think uh, in terms of summarizing this, you are emphasizing that in order for this program to work, clarity of purpose is very important. Um mm-hmm. intentionality is important. Depth depth uh of understanding is important. I also think faith uh is important. Uh and maybe I, I may I probably miss something, but I really I really think the clarity is, is that you emphasize is to me was a was a was a good lesson. The the clarity of it. You know, imagining in your mind, you know, what it would be like right yeah
1: absolutely it's it's so important for people to be clear about what they want
0: yeah i think it really so the other the last thing here um before i ask you about how people could find your book uh is you sort of it's just it's nice that you bring things together and another thing that struck me at the end of your book you you talk about the fact that we we are actually in a deep sleep right now um and um we haven't and we don't know really who we are and and we're sort of awakening going through this awakening process is that uh is that what you would call enlightenment do you see that there's some kind of or or do you not go that far do you see this heading in some direction where we're going to have an awakening where we realize that we have been sleeping and we don't we haven't known who we are for history
1: i would say I would say so, I, I think. But for me, it's not something that um, whole groups of people are going to do at the same time. Yeah. I believe it's a very personal, individual thing. When I first read it in Neville, I hadn't gone through any kind of process like that. I didn't come to I hadn't come to any realization about who I truly was. I was just inspired to try out what he was saying, to put it to the test. And as I began to understand... Okay, there's, I, I see things differently. My perspective on the world has changed. I live a life that is actually fearless. I am able to get from other people what I want from them under all circumstances. It doesn't mean I, I force everybody I meet to like me, but what happens is even someone who may be predisposed to not like me can give me what I'm looking for because I show up already intentioned in what it, it is I want from that exchange or that meeting. So I, I have a very strong and powerful intuition. I'm creatively inspired in ways that I hadn't been before. So all of these processes and these changes, my ability to understand the Bible in the way that I do when I read it, and my also, and also my ability to understand what Neville is teaching in the way that I do. And I've now been told it's different to the way that other people have described it. All of this confirmed to me that what Neville was saying is true. And this is in addition to me putting his teachings to the test and getting the results that I have gotten. So I do believe when Neville says that it will happen to you you i do believe it will happen to everyone because it hadn't happened to me at the time that i came to neville but it subsequently happened
0: yeah that's great okay so we've come to the end here why don't you just um tell the listeners where to find your book and maybe how to find out more about what you're up to
1: Okay, so if anybody wants to connect with me, they can do that on Facebook at facebook.com and it's forward slash Kate, K-A-T-E dot Jagedi, J-E-G-E-D-E dot seven. Um, you can also find me by my name, but you have to use Catherine Jagedi on the com website. So just search for me under authors and I'm there and then also the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but uh Penguin has more information about all the places that the book is available.
0: That that's great. And and in in closing I want to add that uh for those who are looking for a I don't want I think calling this self-help is really not um not a good enough description, but for those who want a book that really capsulizes – the this this new thought um, sort of uh, urge idea that we could control determine improve our lives this is really the book to get i i i think this is a lot more helpful a lot more insightful than books like the secret uh, it's also short and um, it's it's for some people it's probably going to be viewed uh, as sort of a wild out there kind of perspective but it really does connect with the history of ideas here, and it really is, I think, where things are leading, that if indeed this metaphysics that uh, we are part of God's imagination is true, then we better do the best we can to try to improve uh, the imagination and therefore improve the world we live in and our lives. Kate, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. My name is Philip Camella. Uh, This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camilla. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.